Welcome to Great Loop Radio, brought to you by America's Great Loop Cruisers Association. We're dedicated to sharing Great Loop information and inspiration with those actively cruising, planning for, or dreaming about a Great Loop adventure. This is Kim Russo. I'm the director of AGLCA, and today we're kind of capping off our 2023 update series on buying a boat. We're going to be talking to Cindy Lewis with Sterling Associates, and she will tell us about financing in 2023. If you've listened to the other episodes, we've covered finding and buying the boat and any trends in the boat buying market, and we've talked about insurance. So kind of the third piece of that puzzle we like to include is always financing, and of course, with the economy being where it is and interest rates ticking up, I know that a lot of our members have questions. So we'll bring in Cindy in just a moment to fill us in on all that. As always, I do want to take a moment first to recognize and thank our Admiral sponsors who support AGLCA at the highest level. They are Curtis Stokes & Associates, Passage Maker Trawler Fest, Skipper Bob Publications, and Waterway Guide Media. As always, we encourage our listeners and viewers to support these businesses that support the Great Loop. And another wonderful supporter of the Great Loop is Cindy Lewis with Sterling Associates. Cindy, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me, Kim. It's nice to, to see you again. And, and uh, it kind of reminds me of the time we did this during deepest, darkest COVID, which just seems like eons ago. So it um, does. And that was actually probably the last time that you and I chatted like this about, you know, what's going yep. on with financing. But of mm-hmm. course, as the Fed has ticked up those interest rates many times this year, well, I guess in 2022, leading up into 2023, um, I've heard lots of members asking questions about those interest rates. So we're definitely going to hop into that and, and you know, talk a okay. little bit about yep. what's yep. changed. Um, yep. But let's start with some of the basics. So, you know, for those who perhaps have never really given any consideration yet to financing of their boat, um, you know, kind of give us the basics of, of what's expected, how much is down, what are the loan terms, things like that. Sure, sure. Okay, well, the basic ABCs are the banks are going to look for 15 to 20% down payment. And if the loan amount is over $100,000, they'll finance it for 20-year terms. If it's under $100,000, they'll go 15-year terms. Unlike real estate, where if you put more down and shorten the terms, you get a little better rate, they really don't change anything. Uh, the thing to keep in mind is that most bank loans are paid off in three or four years. People pay them off, they get into a different boat. Um, it's more of a short-term thing. They stretch them out to 20-year terms so that it keeps the payments down. So that's an interesting point, though, Cindy, because I've heard you mention that before, um, that the average length of a boat loan winds up only being like three to four years. Any thoughts on that? Because it seems like many loopers do buy and then, you know, with the intention of selling pretty quickly, but others, you know, buy and intend to hold on to the boat. So the average is surprising to me, but what do you attribute that to? Well, I, I think a lot of those figures were on the statistics that were, were kind of developed during the quote, the go-go years when they were making so many more boats. People would trade up two or three feet every couple of years. So that adds to it. Um, then people will also start to age out and decide that they don't want a big boat anymore. They want to go downsize. We see that from time to time too. But I think people consider the boat is, uh, is a is a luxury, and they maybe don't want that payment for years and years. So they structure it to make it affordable, and they pay it off in three or four years, or they'll sell the boat to move up or move down. So that's kind of where those statistics come from. I find with loopers, um, you know, I've financed many main ships multiple times because people <laughs> will buy a boat, do the loop, sell the boat, 
and they may not get out of voting, but they might get into a different kind of vote for their use. So they've done the loop and they want to go back to their home waters and then they want to get into something that's more suitable for how they're going to use the loop. Uh, use their their boats and do their boating so so again people it's not not a one and done you know people move in and out of boats many, many times like people move in and out of houses although i think more people keep the house rather than sell the house but right uh, and it's it's a case-by-case -case situation so so one thing I, I think uh folks are curious about is how from the the bank's perspective how is the boat valued, you know, um, the buyer and seller sure. may have agreed upon a price, but what if the bank's not in line with that? How does the bank decide what the yep. boat is actually worth? When marine lending first came about, uh, they had to establish values because they really didn't know what the value was. And there were two forms of, of this one called NADA, which is like, uh, like the Kelly blue book and buck B U C and dealers had to, um, had to, to, join these groups, contribute uh, numbers. And that was, again, back in the go-go days, uh, millions of boats being built every year of all size. So the banks needed to know what were these boats worth on the used market. So they used statistics that these buyers and sellers were reporting, dealers, manufacturers, what have you. Along came Yacht World and along came soldboat.com. And Yacht World is expensive and it comes with soldboat.com. So all these brokers and dealers and builders said, since we're in the yacht world and we get soldboat.com, we're going to drop Buck and NADA. Well, the problem with that, with them doing that is that Buck and NADA have old statistics. So quite often the banks, when they wrote their policy based on using Buck and NADA, banks have old numbers. So they can look up a, you know, an X model, whatever year model, whatever boat. And those statistics are based on 10, 15, 20 year old figures that were reported and newer figures have not been reported. Now that's changing a little bit because of the values of the boats have come up, they're selling for higher prices. Those figures that are getting reported uh, are a little more true, but it was very challenging up to a few years ago when the used boats started commanding higher prices and bringing the value up. So in 2008, when the economy crashed, there were a lot of repos, a lot of voluntary uh, repos and the value, you know, fire sale prices and the values came down now because of limited inventory and higher prices, the values come up. So what we try to do is on an older boat, especially is make sure that we find a bank that does not use Buck and NADA, or if they do, that they'll also consider a soldboat.com and comps report. Um, these days, the surveyors tend to, to be providing very good comps and the banks will look at what the surveyors are providing. So um, it's kind of case by case. We try not to use banks that use Buck and NADA only. The banks have become a little more uh, softened in their requirements and will take uh, soldboat.com. So, uh, you know, I always tell customers, the price of the boat is what the market will bear. So if the boat is priced at X and other similar models are within that price range, it's priced right. Then you have to look at options and you know add-ons and things like that. But if your boat is priced thousands of dollars higher or thousands of dollars lower, and you want to say, okay, maybe what's the problem here? Do we have an unrealistic seller, or do we have uh, a fire sale because someone's in trouble, or perhaps a family member passed away and the estate wants to sell the boat quickly? You know, there's always different case-by-case -case situations on what a, what a boat is value is. But I think by and large. 
the brokers do a really good job at helping people price their boats fairly. And I think sellers know what their boats should be worth. Although recently, I have to say there's some sellers that sort of think their boats are worth more than they paid for them three or four years ago because of this kind of frenzied market. And I think that's changing a little bit that, you know, that again, they're becoming a little more realistic. Um, a lot of the buyers right now are thinking, well, the boats are priced 30% too high. I'm, I'm going to wait, but I don't think that the boats are going to come down 30%. I think that with the price of new boats, you know, there's always room for negotiation and you have to look at all the factors that go into what that negotiation is. Where's the boat, the time of year, why is it being sold? You know, there's so many factors involved. So I think that, again, boats are priced pretty fairly and they're holding their value and the banks see that as well. Yeah. You know, uh, while you were talking about that, Cindy, you also mentioned um, kind of the financial crisis of 08. And, mm -hmm. you know, at that time, not a whole lot of boats were being built for a few years there sure. um, because there was not much of a market for a pricey new boat. So, you know, fast forward 15 years, we're seeing some some of our members are, are asking me questions related to the age of the boat. You know, they're out there looking for a boat. They intend to finance. They need insurance. And we, we spoke with John mm -hmm. Horton about insurance. And, you know, he confirmed that older boats are a bigger challenge to insure these days. So. I'm getting questions from people who are kind of going, you know, if I'm looking at quote unquote, a newer boat, that's, you know, from uh, there's that void of boats for a couple of years around 08. If you look at something just a little bit before that, you're already looking at a, you know, 16, 17, 18 year old boat. In some cases, if you hold on to it for, for a few years, you're starting to creep over that 20 year mark um, that from insurance can be a challenge. Tell us how that um, affects it, it can also be finance. right. It can also be a challenge. Um, most of the national lenders, your U.S. banks, your truest, they basically say 20 years old or newer mm -hmm. and case by case. If it's a good boat, the, they might go a little bit older for a strong customer. Um, part of that is they want to make sure that the customer realizes that an older boat might take more maintenance. So they want to make sure that they, they you know, that they, they're a solid customer. Um, we happen to have some lenders that will go back to 1988 or newer. There are some other banks out there that will do older boats, but I know we happen to get a lot of business with the older boats. And I always tell customers, think of your exit strategy. Someday you're going to want to, need to, or have to sell the boat. And an older boat can be a beautiful boat with lots of upgrades, but it's the reason why sometimes you see these beautiful 35, 40 year old boats at phenomenal prices because they can't get insurance very easily and they can't get financing very easily. Um, I think the insurance part of it, and you've already done your conversation with John, I think the insurance part of it is going to be a bigger challenge for a while than getting a, getting financing. And it's just, just the nature of the insurance markets right now. And you're right, as these boats, you know, back in the heyday, late 90s, early 2000s, that's when a lot of boats were made. But the brakes went on in 2008. And anybody that was buying a boat was ordering it to, you know, building it to order. And then even when things turned around, the whole dealer business model was different. Dealers weren't ordering boats for stock and for inventory. They were ordering boats for a sold boat for a customer. So the, the number of boats in even in you know 2012, 13, 14, 15 was still far less than before 2008. And they just weren't producing that many. So again, we're still faced with a limited inventory problem. And in a few more years, that's gonna be a, a, you know, a continuing challenge for people because the banks will basically 
you know, model year themselves out of being able to do a loan on a used boat. Right. So the banks are going to have to do some changing. So. Yeah, well, it's definitely something interesting for those in the market for a boat to consider. Um, you right. know, do they, instead of paying cash, do they finance to get something a little bit newer? Um, right. So that when they go to sell, um, you know, all that's happening is, is for those of you listening, if, if you're buying a boat now that's approaching the 20 year mark, you'll be fine. <laughs> it's right. just that at some point, as Cindy said, you know, there's an, it gotta be an exit strategy there. Eventually you will sell that boat and your pool of, of buyers is much smaller if the boat can't get easily get financing or easily get insurance. So those are just, you know, some interesting issues that based on the historic trends we're looking at now on the age of, of boats and particularly looper boats that tend to be a little bit, you know, on the older side. So um, right. And, you know, especially like, as you, I think you use the example of main ships, um, you know, super popular for the loop, but they only built them until, you know, so long ago. Right. Um, so if you're looking for a main ship, it's, it's by default, um, as are most of the loop boats, you know, they're, they're typically a little bit older. So um, right. interesting right. to, you know, be upfront with people about the, the finances challenges they may face. Um right. Let's take a quick break and play a message from a sponsor. When we come back, let's kind of, um, you know, we've, we've talked a little bit about the historic um, financial picture and how the 08 crash affected boats, but let's talk about today and how the interest okay. rates are affecting boats. So we'll dive Sounds into good. that and, okay, we'll be back okay. in just a moment. Did you know that every mile of the Great Loop is covered by both the Waterway Guide and Skipper Bob? Use them to plan your Great Loop cruise and learn about the places you can visit. In the cockpit, important navigation info is always ready at your side, plus marina listings, anchorages, services, and so much more. Each Skipper Bob and Waterway Guide is updated yearly, and waterwayguide.com and skipperbob.net keep you current with navigation alerts, cruising news, fuel prices, and special deals. With the Waterway Guide and Skipper Bob at the helm, you'll always be on course. Order yours today at the AGLCA ship store at greatloop.org. Waterway Guide and Skipper Bob are proud sponsors at the Admiral level with AGLCA. We're back on Great Loop Radio. I'm chatting today with Cindy Lewis. Cindy is with Sterling Associates, and they are a longtime sponsor of AGLCA, so we appreciate that, Cindy. Um, Cindy is an expert in marine financing. It is all she does these days after a, a career in all different parts of the marine industry, so she's a good lady to know because she's got lots of information. Um, but Cindy, I'm hearing you know concerns uh, from buyers about interest rates. And I know from talking with you before that uh, the rates on boat loans don't necessarily track, um, you know, one for one with uh, hikes at the Federal Reserve and don't necessarily track with, you know, prime or what you might see for a homeowner's loan. So um, tell us a little bit about what we can expect right now from rates and, you know, what direction they've been going for the past few months. Sure. Well, as we know, the Fed has raised rates, I think, eight times in the last few months. And Marine loans and recreational loans and home mortgages have also gone up. Um, we kind of go parallel with home mortgages, but it's not the same. We don't change every day like they do, uh, but it's kind of, quote, about the same. Now, I, I'm hearing that, you know, mortgage rates went down, but I think if the average person went to apply for a, a home mortgage today, tomorrow, next week, they're going to be higher than what they say on the news. So, uh, again, as far as our rates, yes. We're higher. The one thing I tell people to keep in mind, 
if interest rates are higher, the returns on your conservative savings is also higher. And I've heard it from a couple different people. My financial person called me and said, I have CDs at 4.5%. You're sitting there on some cash. There's some treasury bills that are coming in at five. He said, you might want to consider moving some of your cash to CDs, which this is another good reason to consider financing, because if you can borrow money at six to seven percent, keep your cash and make close to five percent, you're practically even. And cash is king no matter what we're doing in our life, no matter what we're paying. It's always nice to have a cash cushion. And we learned that during COVID. Everybody was like, oh, I'm glad I've got cash. If I have a problem and can't work, I've got cash. And it's still important. Um, the world is not leveraged to the hilt like we were in 2008. And cash is still important to have. So I haven't seen a slowdown in the inquiries. People are still borrowing money. Uh, when I was first got into the loan side of this in the early 2000s, we refinanced the world down to 6.5% from eight, nine, 10, 11, 12% boat loans. And then a year later, we refinanced them to four and a half. So it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like an amoeba, it's always moving, it's never solid. But if rates are higher, we'll give you a call when the rates go down and we'll refinance your boat. Um, you're not obligated to pay for that loan for 20 years. If you feel that, you, you know, you bought the boat and borrowed the money and you really don't like paying the interest, well, pay it off. You know, it's not, you're not held to task. It's not like you're living in a house that you got a 30 year mortgage on and you may not have the option to pay it off, you know, pay, pay off that boat loan. But again, I'm not seeing a slowdown in loan inquiries, a little bit slow because it's winter, you know, it's January, February, it's always slow right. for us, but it'll pick up again in March and, and, you know, we'll be busy. And, and uh, I, I've found that higher interest rates never really stop people from borrowing money. Mm -hmm. Um, in fact, higher interest rates might people might have people sitting on cash and saying, I can earn more in the bank. Right. So I think it's a case by case situation. And the other the other thing, too, is that people think, well, I'll just write a check. Interest rates are too high. But keep in mind, a lot of money is in retirement accounts, IRAs, 401ks. And if you take too much money out, then you're going to be paying penalties on that. So you can borrow the money. Maybe it's a little higher than you are used to for the last few years. But a lot of people in this market can remember when interest rates were 14, 15, 17%, they were buying their first homes. Um, you know, they still had, you know, college debt to pay, you name it. And we've seen higher rates. Um, I think there's a certain demographic that's never seen a rate as high as 6%, but they're under 35. And right. so I, know <laughs> I finance boats for, for people like that too, but, you know, they'll scream at me, what do you mean it's, it's 6%, you know, last month it was four. Well, yeah, but you're not borrowing very much money. And that's what it is. You haven't right. ever seen those higher rates before. So I think you have to look at the overall picture of does it make sense to finance? Does it make sense to pay cash? And it's case by case. And again, I think a lot of people, you know, work all their lives, they save up, they're saving for the rainy day, and they say, I don't want debt. But debt is not necessarily a bad thing to have particularly when you're buying a boat or an RV or a beach house or something like that. And you can always pay it off. But again, you can you know, take a loan for a couple of years, structure the money to come out of your retirement accounts without penalty, pay it off in three or four years. And and it's win-win. So it's, again, it's different for everybody, but I know 
a lot of times I talk to people and they say, well, my financial planner told me that I should do it this way. And I say, yep, your financial planner is probably right. But people are cautious because they've never spent this kind of money on a boat or, you know, a recreational item. So again, it's still rates are higher. Nothing we can do about that, but they're not in the stratosphere and people are still borrowing money. So, right. so for a lot of people, the best that they can compare this to is buying a home. Um, you know, mm -hmm. most similar thing, both in process and in dollar amount that they're spending. Right. So, um, you know, in real estate, there's some strategies when the rates are high to bring them down a little bit, either by putting more down or changing the term of the loan. Um, is there anything like that that works well, for boat loans as well? Right. We really don't have the options for that kind of thing in, like they do in real estate for buying down a mortgage, for uh, you know, paying down points uh, and things like that. We we really don't have that. It's pretty straightforward. 15 to 20% down the 20 year terms. You can put more down if you want. It doesn't change anything. You can take a shorter term. It doesn't change anything. So pretty much black and white. It is what it is. And, uh, you know, again, we occasionally will have some rate specials, maybe a, a variable program or arms. Right now, the arm programs are not very good. They're close to what the fixed programs are. Mm -hmm. And for some people, an arm is fine. If they can save a quarter or half a point here or there, that's fine. A lot of people don't like to watch over their shoulder and say, oh my gosh, five years went so fast and now my interest rates went up and my payments went up. Uh, other people, they know that in two or three years, uh, maybe they're selling a business, they're selling a property, they'll just pay the loan off and you know, use the arm to their advantage. But again, it's pretty straightforward and we don't do very many arms anymore. We, we used to do a lot more when rate, when rates were lower, arms were a lot lower. But now the arm has kind of caught up to about the same fixed rates. Gotcha. So, so a lot of people are familiar with, you know, if they take too much out of a retirement account, that can be an issue. Um, but I think some people, particularly when buying a boat, may not realize some of the tax benefits that they might actually have from financing the boat. So right. well, those. tax laws have changed a little bit, but IRS section 163 allows you to take a second home deduction on a boat as long as it has a mortgage. Uh, you can do a home equity loan and take a tax deduction for a second home up to $100,000. Uh, again, this is going to be individual based on your income and you know how you cash flow, but you can still take a second home interest deduction. So for example, say you're, you're paying six and a half percent for a rate and you're earning 5% on your money conservatively, you're down to one and a half percent gross interest rate. Right. If you set it up the right way, you probably deduct some of that too. So, mm -hmm. you know, it can be a, it can be a real win-win situation. So uh, again, it, it's different for each individual. And I always say consult your tax planner or your accountant or your attorney to find out what's best for you. Definitely. But I do think that that may be a deduction that people are not necessarily aware of if they've never had a, you know, true kind of long-term cruising right. type of boat, because there are some parameters on the boat. So if you have just kind of a weekend boat or, you know, a, a runabout that you use on Saturday afternoons, it's probably doesn't qualify. So what are the couple of things that it, the tax code is sure, looking it for needs for it to, to qualify? Cooking, sleeping, and toilet facilities. Mm -hmm. So as long as you can heat a, heat a can of soup with a Bunsen burner, you know, have some type of a head and have a place to lay your head and go to sleep, that considers a second home. And uh, these days, a lot of these center consoles that, you know, they're really no more than just an open boat with two or three outboards on it. Those center consoles, 
they have those things on board so people can take a deduction on it. Even they're never going to sleep on it. They're never going to cook on it. They're only going to be bringing their lunch and their cold beverages, but, but they do have it so they can take the deduction. So yeah. good information. Definitely something to consider. So um, what is the process like to go for funding? Is it something that you should have, you know, some kind of an approval lined up before you start the boat, you know, the the serious boat shopping? Any lender can get you a pre-approval. It's very easy. They just need a boat on the application. So unlike real estate where you say, I want to go buy a beach house and I need to borrow X dollars. And then you go look for property once you have a mortgage approved. We need a boat on the application. You're not obligated to that boat at all. So I always tell people, you kind of know what you're looking for. You kind of know what your top end of your budget is. Pick a boat that's at the top end of your budget. We'll get you an approval for that. You can always change boats. You can always take less money. But what this does is it allows you to make a move quickly when a boat comes along. And you can say to your broker or to the seller, I'm pre-approved for this boat or a similar boat, similar price range. All I need to do is a collateral change financing is not an option that makes you a cash buyer. And it also gives brokers peace of mind when somebody says, you know, you've got three or four boats I'd like to go see. And that requires travel, airfare, driving time, hotels, that kind of thing. Broker wants to be sure that you can afford the boat. And many brokers will require a pre-approval. Um, approval turnaround is one or two days. There's no fees involved with that. And again, it's peace of mind for everybody knowing you can go into a, a negotiation and a transaction knowing that the money will be there and then the bank will of course require a survey and the the survey value needs to be there as well so if the boat's a piece of junk and needs a lot of repair the bank might say no we don't like this boat but you're not going to buy it anyway so so again um, pre-approval is always good to have it just takes your time to get the information to the lender and again you're not obligated to anything and there are no fees so sometimes it takes a while to find a boat and there's still again as we just talked about limited inventory and there's a lot of buyers out there so it's good to have that in your hip pocket when you're when you get serious yeah most definitely and and as we found out in our insurance discussion uh the insurance process is working a little bit more like that these days as well since insurance can really be a challenge so um you know just kind of add this to your to-do list to to look right. for that insurance well, information and the financing on the front end and and get those you know kind of pre-approvals and it is a a, a true pre-approval process for the financing for the insurance it's right. it's slightly different but um again the insurance part has moved up further in the buying process than it once was because of those challenges. Right. Well, the the financing, it's basically an approval with stipulations. So you're getting an approval and the stipulation will be purchase agreement, survey, proof of insurance. They might want to see more tax returns or bank accounts, but basically it's the same as an approval with stipulations. Um, The one thing that I've done a lot in the last year and now with every conversation, I tell people, have you checked out insurance? And have you spoken to an insurance agent? Do you understand what the requirements are? I'm sure I can get you a boat loan, but let's make sure you don't go all the way down the line and come to closing to find out you can't get it insured and then you lose your down payment and it's happened. So, you know, we, we, we always try to, I always try to encourage it. I know a lot of brokers do. I know some brokers don't, but I, on my end, when I'm talking to a customer, I push insurance. I had one today and, you know, they're buying a boat and they're looking at boats that are bigger than they've ever had. And I, I'm pushing and saying, you need to contact the insurance company. You know, you're going to have trouble getting insurance. Mm-hmm. And they're looking at a big sailing catamaran in the hurricane zone. 
and they're not going to get insurance without a captain yeah. and they don't want a captain. So it's, it, you know, you already had the, the, you know, conversation with that. It's something that as a lender, I'm aware of, all the lenders are aware of. I talk with the insurance agents on a regular basis. Uh, I had a conversation this morning, a gentleman called looking for a very big trawler. And he said, oh, well, I talked to one of the agents from the AGLCA a couple of weeks ago, or a couple of years ago, rather. And he said, what's changed? And I said, a lot. You need to call them and you need to figure. He said, wow, I didn't really realize it has become such a challenge. So, um, yeah, the, the lending part's a little easier than insurance, but they kind of go hand in hand. So we always encourage people to get pre-approval and get that insurance squared away. Yeah, absolutely. And um, if, you know, if you're not up to date on what those changes in insurance are, there's a podcast from early uh, January of 2023, where we covered that. There's also a lot on our website, and we've really been working to kind of get that information out. You know, some people have unexpectedly not had big issues. Some people who, Mm -hmm. you know, expected to kind of sail right through the insurance process have had issues. And, you know, the more we can get the word out so that that becomes, you know, let's face it, people who are in the position to buy a boat and do the loop have pretty much, you know, are are typically not really credit risks and are not used to being viewed as insurance risks. Um, So it comes to us as a surprise to somebody who hasn't really kind of stayed up to date on the market. I think for many people, they might have had boats before and it was never a problem to call the insurance agent and say, I'm buying a new boat. This is what it is. And I need to get insurance because three years ago or five years ago, it wasn't a problem. But in the last 18 to 24 months, the insurance market has changed. And it's, um, you know, I see it all the time with very experienced yachtsmen, uh, people I've known for years, family, friends, you know, I get a call, hey, my insurance company is canceling my county in Florida. Help, where do I go? You know, insurance people. And, you know, people have never had a claim, big boat owners. And it's, yeah, it's shocking. It's shocking. So absolutely. So, and, and, you know, again, Mm -hmm. banks, the banks are out there to, you know, approve loans, but Again, I always encourage people get, you know, do this alongside of your, your application, do it before you, you send your application in. I've had a couple people recently that have called me back and said, I so appreciate your telling me because I have to rethink this and get a 35 to a 38 foot boat before I can get my 45 foot boat. Yes. And I'm going to have to do that for a year first. And I'm prepared to do that. But it's kind of like, you know, that they don't want to hear what you're telling them about this, but it's, <laughs> the, it's the fact of life. So, you know, yeah. I don't, yep. I'm, I'm not being the insurance bad guy. I'm just telling you what you should be prepared for. Yeah. Well, and, and maybe you won't of, have to. Yeah. And yeah. I hear from lots of insure, uh brokers who have, you know, had to kind of be the insurance bad guy and push that up in the process. And yeah. a lot of our AGLCA sponsors who are in the insurance space, you know, if I call them and say, Hey, can you come, you know, talk about insurance at this event? And they're like, Oh, you want me to be the bad guy today? Sure. <laughs> um, sure. So sure. I tell them we won't, we won't shoot the messenger, but um, you know, it is just a reality of the process at this point. So Cindy, before we wrap up, just, you know, real quick, um, any kind of um, qualifications that the bank's going to be looking for to approve a boat loan? Sure. Um, most people that are buying boats, particularly in the looper category, have made big purchases. They've owned a home or homes or uh, real estate. They may have paid it off, but they've seen that you've you know, had previous borrowing experience. If you've had previous borrowing experience with a boat or an RV, all the better. Um, they want the one thing that they still like is liquidity after down payment. So 
A lot of people have a lot of money in the retirement accounts, but if they're not 59 and a half, you'll pay a big penalty by pulling it out. So I always say maybe plan ahead if you're under 59 and a half, make sure you keep some more money in the brokerage accounts, cash savings account, because after the down payment, the bank will want to see at least 12 months of payments in non-retirement accounts. What you do with that after you get the vote, you can move it around, but they want to know that if something happens to you or you, know, you can't go to work or what have you, uh, that you've got a cushion and you're not calling them and saying, I need to give you the keys back because I don't have income. So they want to see that you've got a good cushion. And, and that's really, you know, probably one of the challenges. A lot of people want to load up their retirement accounts and while well, they can, and they get matching funds and all that kind of thing. So right. just to make sure that you don't have, uh, you know, all your money in retirement, you've got a good cushion after that down payment. Um, the other thing is, is it's much easier to get a boat loan if you're still working. So if you're planning on retiring, get the boat loan before you retire, if it's possible. Um, banks look at where you are now in two years, previous income tax returns. If you call me today and say, Cindy, I retired the 1st of February. Now it's time to buy the boat. We can't use previous income and you don't have current income. Now it could be an exception where you have plenty of current and investment income and what your income is from your work situation, it was less than other income. So right. again, it's case by case, but it's easier to get the boat before you have your going away retirement party. And the same thing with, with the house, they need you to have a place to live. So it's easier to get the boat while you have a house. If you plan on selling the house and moving on the boat, get the boat first and, or, you know, need to get some kind of a lease and, you know, it's doable. We can work around that, but, um, you know, I had a call last week from someone. They said, well, we have a boat we bought just to live on, but we want to buy our cruising boat. And I said, so you don't have a, have a land address. No, not anymore. Um, we live on a boat. We want to buy a new. I said, well, you're going to have to figure this out. You know, we, we can't. Yeah. Do so. And he's, he was shocked that he couldn't get a boat loan because he lived on a boat. Right. And I said, yep, yeah, can't do that. So, so there's, you know, that's, if someone has any questions, ask your lender, uh, can reach out to me anytime. I can talk to you about, you know, how we how we can help you set that up. But uh, but again, you know, plan ahead. It's always good to plan ahead. Talk to your financial person about, you know, don't write that check. Maybe just finance it for a couple of years might be a better way to do it for you. And again, just kind of being prepared and planning ahead. This goes along with the insurance. How are you going to pay for it? All of that stuff. It's all part of the overall picture. And any lender would be happy to help you, you know, figure out that process. Excellent. Cindy, we will wrap it up there for today, but um, thank you uh, for once again, sharing all of this information. Um, we just love having some of our sponsors come on and, and really, you know, show their expertise and thank you for that. We appreciate well, thank, it. Good to see thank you. Thank you too. for having me. It's always fun. And, and uh, I'm looking forward to the rendezvous in May. In fact, I was just booking some reservations and making some plans. So, and that'll be here before we know it. And uh, it will. Yep. And Cindy is talking about the uh, spring rendezvous, May 1st through 4th. Registration yep. for that actually opens on Monday, February 13th at noon Eastern. So right around the corner. Um, we're excited about it. And uh, if you want to hear more about this topic or a whole host of other topics kind of related to finding and buying your boat and planning for the Great Loop, as well as actually navigating the Great Loop, the Spring Rendezvous is a great place to be. So Cindy, I look forward to seeing you there. Great, safe travels, and we'll talk soon. Sounds good. And thank Thanks. you to everyone Bye -bye. who's watched or listened this week. We'll be back next week with another episode of Great Loop Radio. Until then, safe cruising.